This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target but not fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, because you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Man, man, man. We call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be. And we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richard. Place to be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscoli. And this is the Place to Be Podcast. Sports car, Shanta got big lips and handlebars. Put it on Tim like a porno star. Run back the tape in the VCR. I'm coming, baby, like the big black Kahuna. I wish you would have hunt me just a little sooner. Now rich like silver spooner. Spooner. Now here's the finger. Now I got to move. I wish you would have. Place Nation. Welcome back to the one and only Place to Podcast. I'm your host. Just Rosero, coming to you here in the PTBN studios on this fine Monday evening. And joining me, as always, my PSE, Mr. Scott Criscolo. Scott, how are you? Good evening, JR. Good evening, Place B Nation. Welcome to episode 601 of the longest-running episodic motherfucking gold standard. Yes, 99 to 7 bills. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you in 10 years. Whenever that will be. Yeah, exactly. 10 years. Uh yeah, season what is what is what are we on? Steve Riddle made seasons. What is season it? season seven? Yeah, season seven. Season seven. Look at that. We're each, we're reaching like uh, unless HBO we want to be like the usually Sopranos. season seven's the finale. So let's well, say like the Sopranos. It's gonna be season six part two. <laughs> but uh, yeah, season six part two. Yeah, who got sh- <laughs> which one of us got shot in the uh, which one of us got shot in the family room? Let's say uh, I'll Well, welcome everybody. It means I get to get some sleep. Yeah. Uh, welcome everyone. Good to have you here. What's going on, JR? How are you? Uh, not much. I'm excited uh, to kick off the 600s with a very interesting show. And to do that, we have a uh, a guest with us tonight. That's also very exciting to have him here. It's been a while since he's been on for Vintage Vault, but he has been here many times before. He's the staff accountant. He is the historian of the Place Me podcast. He's my co-host on Wrestling Warzone and helps me run the North South. Connection Wrestling Podcast Network, and that was my good friend, Mr. Chad Campbell. Chad, how are you? I'm doing good. Uh, last up, time Chad? I did doing good. Uh, last time I did a Vintage Vault was only uh, like six pay per views ago. I don't know what y'all are talking about. I just did That's WrestleMania right. 23, and now it's like we're just there. Point. Yeah, That's right. <laughs> it's only been five years. <laughs> it didn't feel like it though. Three uh, presidents yeah. ago, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, so a big show here tonight. You only do the big ones in 07, a Survivor Series 2007. So it'll be yes. fun to dig into this one and see how it holds up. And because I feel like this one actually has a pretty good reputation uh, overall out there. Like, I feel like I've mentioned to a couple of people and they're like, oh, yeah, that's a good show. So we'll see if that's still the case. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, of course, we uh, if you're new here or revisiting us for the first time in a while. Yes, we're in 2007 on our chronological uh, line here. 
But we also spend the first portion of the show digging deep into the vault and heading back to 1993, where we touch on what was going on in the world of wrestling at that time. We talk about some pop culture events of that year. And that keeps us kind of where we were at back on our past timeline mm-hmm. of the 80s into the 90s. And it's, it's been cool staying because, you know, the pop culture and stuff is just more exciting from that time period. So mm. uh, so why don't we head back all the way to 1993, Scott, and tell us what house shows were going on uh, during this time period for WF and WCW. All right. Well, uh, before we dive into that, uh, and a very uh, historic event happened in wrestling on this date back then, November mm. 18th, 1993. Uh, not a good one for Mr. Vincent Kennedy McMahon. It was on this date he was officially indicted for possession and conspiracy to contribute to distribute anabolic steroids. So the technically the steroid trial saga began officially on this date. November 18th, 1993, when he was formally indicted uh, for his uh, aforementioned crimes. So I think it's a pretty quick turnaround to, to trial for him because he's in trial in what, like June? Right. Seems like a quick turnaround. Yeah, not guilty is uh, August 1st, 1994. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So pretty quick. Pretty quick. So starts there and uh, continues on. Of course, he's on TV, obviously, through 94, and we'll, we'll document that. But the formal indictment was, was brought down uh, on this date, November 18th, 1993. There was wrestling going on, though. Uh, the WWF was at a couple of evenings. Um, the first one was at the IMA Sports Arena in Flint, Michigan, for a very paltry crowd of 1,750. Uh, the Brooklyn Brawler defeated Brian Costello, who subbed for Marty Jannetty. Feels very lateral. Uh, Diesel, Diesel defeated Bob Backlund. Uh, the Undertaker defeated the World Wrestling Federation champion Yokozuna in a non-title casket match. Men on a Mission defeated Tom Stone and Barry Horowitz. Bastion Booger defeated Virgil. And our Intercontinental champion, Razor Ramon, defeated IRS. So there's your card in flint michigan diesel uh defeating backland one year almost uh to the day of when he'll beat him for the yeah title. that's right crazy right and not in flint michigan in a slightly more high profile venue um the other half of the loop was at the civic and convention center in niagara falls new york hmm. see if the card's better than the other one uh, the one, two, three kid defeated Johnny Polo. Oh, we're already we're t- already one nothing for this show. The Head Shrinkers defeated the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champions, uh, Chad, the, the Rock and Roll Express, in a non-title match. Owen Hart defeated Adam Baum. Rick Steiner defeated the World Wrestling Federation, one half of the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champion, Jacques Rougeau, one half of the Quebecers. Doink the Clown defeated Iron Mike Sharp. Uh, Bret Hart defeated Shawn Michaels in a steel cage match. Wow. Not too bad. But this was the main event. Lex Luger defeated Ludwig Borga. I would say that's a pretty succinct. uh, Yeah, pretty succinct snapshot of the late 93 WF right there. (laughs) Pretty much, right? (laughs) Uh, Pretty great. Uh, WCW did not have a card on this night because three days later on November 21st was Battle Bowl. So uh, there were no shows for WCW on this night. So 
Uh, JR, why don't we uh, fire up and see what herb we have tonight? All right, Chad, I got three of them for you, okay? November 4th, 1993 starts with a long breakdown of his honeymoon to Alberta, namely Jasper, <laughs> Lake Louise, and Banff. Uh, we'll <laughs> not be digging into the novel he wrote about that, but we'll move forward to his notes. Arn Anderson and Sid Vicious were stabbed in England a couple nights ago. Reports have them in <laughs> satisfactory condition. Uh, so no details yet, but the rumor is uh, that they've both been stabbed. I like how it makes it sound like they were both attacked by like someone and yeah. not each other. Right. Shawn Michaels has been talked into returning to the RF after a very short holiday. He'll work at USWA first and return to the RF for the Intercontinental title, saying he was unjustly stripped of the belt by Jack Tunney and will challenge Razor Ramon. Dave Meltzer reports that the stuff between uh, the WCW tape teasing Eric Watts as a potential horseman is just a tease. Oh, God. Clash of the Champions 26th on November 10th, 93 from Petersburg. Road Warriors are scheduled. See in Petersburg, I'm assuming, right? Not just Peter, Petersburg. Yeah, St. Petersburg. Uh, Road Warriors are scheduled to appear. The lineup includes Vader versus Ric Flair for the WCW title. Rick Rude versus Hawk with Animal at ringside for the gold belt. Dustin Rhodes with Dusty Rhodes against Paul Orndorff with the Assassin and Steve Austin versus Brian Pillman. On the 10.30 Saturday night, Flair and Sid will score off in a TV match to determine who gets the title shot of Vader, with Flair coming out on top where Colonel Parker gets Sid DQ'd, leading to Sid's face turn. On paper, this looks like a good show. WCW has Lethal Lottery, November 20th. The ad for the show shows Sting, Rick Rude, Cassius Jack, Dustin Rhodes, Rick Flair, Steamboat, Dustin Rhodes, and Hawk. Underneath each wrestler is a quote that gets their gimmick across. WF has Survivor Series on November 24th in Boston. Team USA, Lex Luger, the Steiners, and the Undertaker versus Team Foreign Scum, Lex Luger, I'm sorry, Ludwig <laughs> Borga, Yokozuna, and the Quebecers. Rick Martel, Diesel, Adam Baum, and IRS take on Razor Ramon, Marginetti, Kurt Henning, and the 123 Kid. Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson versus the Heavenly Bodies for the Smoky Mountain tag titles. The Four Doinks, which is Doink, Randy Savage, and Men on a Mission versus Crush, Bam, and Bigelow, the Head Shrinkers. And then Bret Hart, Owen Hart. Keith Hart and Bruce Hart taking on Jerry Lawler and his three masked knights. What is Randy Savage thinking? What good fortune to be able to dress up as a doink for a pay-per-view. Stockade on December 27th from Charlotte. Sid versus Vader. Sting versus Rude. Nasty Boys versus Flair and Steamboat. And Arn Anderson versus Paul Roma. New Japan has their annual beginning of the year show, the Tokyo Dome, on January 4th. The lineup may include Hulk Hogan versus Antonio Inoki. And then Royal Rumble on January 22nd in Providence and Mania 10 on April 3rd at MSG. So pretty benign batch of notes here, Chad, but any thoughts? Well, you was doing pretty good. Uh, then the Starcade card was pretty much wrong across the board. I mean, that did get changed with Sid, but so we'll give him a pass for that. Uh, Anoki does wrestle on the January 4th show, but it's versus uh, Tenru. Um, and that that actually is a match that they'd been building towards. So Herb's way off on that because Tenru was part of the you know wrestling romance war and their invasion of New Japan. So the January fourth match between Tenru and Anoki is actually kind of the uh, the the big pivot match of that feud where Tenru gets a rare pinfall victory over Anoki. Uh, setting up the feud ender, which is Tenru versus Hashimoto in uh, February of 1994. You think this is Hogan like putting out bullshit to try and get like? Eh, maybe. I mean, that's possible for sure. Scott, any thoughts? Uh, I mean, what the Hogan thing doesn't surprise me, but I also think, um, I think the 
the um you know the the WCW stuff is pretty cut and dry. I mean, obviously we're on the road to uh Vader Flair even with a pay-per-view coming up, you know, only a few weeks mm-hmm. later, so seem to have a the pulse on what Starcade was going to be. Hogan, Hogan right. wrestles yeah. Fujinami on that show. Okay, so he was at the show. He then, is so. at the show. Yeah. Yeah. So not BS. It's crazy that he did that. <laughs> like, it seems like some lost of time. Like you don't really ever hear about that, you know? Yeah. Hogan yeah, that's a crazy. I mean that that whole show. Like you look at it now, and it has a ton of people on it that you would, you know, like it as a. Uh, Liger versus Tiger Mask 3, which is Koji Kanemoto. Of course, Hogan's on the show, so guess who else got a payday on that show? Uh, Ed Leslie? Yes, correct. Brother Brudai uh, defeats <laughs> Black Cat. Uh, and then Hashimoto defeats Chono. Tenru defeats Inoki, like I said. Riki Choshu uh, fought Fujiwara. So, I mean, that's a pretty stacked show. Steiner Brothers versus Hiroshi Hase and Muda. So, God, what a crazy... Show just a random though january fortune like think of the ones today and then you got this one fucking hogan and beefcake on it <laughs> so yeah. so freaking yeah. random all right november 11 1993 as many details as we could possibly expect to get from england between arnest and sid vicious have been reported in the observer stories pretty much jive with what was reported here including variations of sid going to arn's hotel room to apologize being attacked by arn and sid claiming he wanted to apologize to arn and then whacking arn with a weapon when arn opened his door as already mentioned on the net anderson lost 1.5 points of blood and almost lost his eye Tuchel scorpio broke up the ruckus the location of the different stab wounds on both wrestlers varies with the different reports most of the wounds were only a half inch deep because the scissors were quite blunt some pseudo-interesting observations from Clash 25 took place last night. Gene Oakland told Colonel Rob Parker he saw a six-foot-nine-inch uh, blonde man in the washroom before the show, from which we can infer it'd be Sid Vicious. Parker went crazy, saying he had a restraining order so that Sid couldn't be in the building. Jesse then said something like, Sid doesn't have the guts to violate a restraining order, which has to be taken as a kayfabe comment with Sid's confrontation with Brian Pillman or Anderson. Clearly, Gene's description fits Hulk Hogan quite well as well. This could be the beginning of hinting of his arrival in WCW. Rumor has the contract has been signed and recent wave actions bashing Hogan and dropping him from all their ads of a tour of Israel led credence to this thought. Tony Schiavone almost called Colonel Rob Parker, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Sid Vicious was referred to many times during the broadcast. You see WCW tape Saturday night for all of November, and Sid is all over them. So his baby face turns the focal point of the storyline for November. Where it has the WCW plan to have Sid unify the two titles and then build a company around this oh-so-reliable guy. On this week's WCW Saturday night, the main event is supposed to be Sid and Flair versus Vader and Austin. This is a match where the awesome Kongs destroy Sid pre-match. Flair and Arn then work a match against Flair and... Uh, I guess he means Austin and Vader. Uh, in what Meltzer reports to be a three and three quarter star match, Sid runs in for the DQ finish with the ribs taped up. Well, they could probably edit out future appearances of Sid and luckily begin taping new worldwide shows in Orlando today without Sid featured. I don't know how they can work around Sid running at the end of this match. Perhaps they edit out the pre-match beating by the Kongs. The question remains, is Sid gone or still recovering with Arn and couldn't repair the cla- pair of the clash? Clearly, you're supposed to run in at the end of the show and save Flair from Vader and Austin. It was also rumored that he was going to be a factor in the finish of Austin versus Pillman, teaming with Pillman in upcoming matches. I know, there's many squeegee jokes to be made. I guess after Saturday's show, we'll know what the story is. I remember Gary and Curtis and I watched Vader do his first moonsault months ago. Gary immediately said, no one would think Vader worked a good match unless he did the moonsault. I thought that was funny, but here we are. Vader doing a moonsault in every big match, and everyone on the net seems to think the move is pulled out in big matches. 
I thought Vader versus Flair and Pillman versus Austin were very good, especially considering the time limitations they faced. Blah, blah, blah. I report the Toronto Star has Hulk Hogan blaming peer pressure for taking steroids. Hogan said that before 1966, when he was 13, they were legal. He felt peer pressure in the 60s, 70s, and 80s to take them. Toronto Star also reports that Greg Valentine is coming back to WF. He'll be bringing his wife Medusa in as well. But based on TV tapings, which they both took part, they will not be paired together. News lines are busy the past couple of weeks with stories about the federal investigations of steroid abuse. Recent years gone by. The grand jury investigation is focusing on Vince McMahon Jr., the principal owner of the WF and Titan Sports. It's old news, but during Zahorian's trial, evidence was presented that showed hundreds of shipments from his office to wrestlers and others, including... Uh, prosecutors claiming the shipments containing steroids. 37 of the shipments, which prosecutors claim contain steroids, were sent to the for Titan headquarters. Nine of them bore McMahon's name. Rumors now have it that Vince McMahon won't survive this investigation and plans are already afoot to have him removed from the DRF in every way, presumably leaving Linda McMahon in charge. Kurt Henning had to no-show some matches a week ago when his father Larry the X took took ill and Kurt rushed off to Robbinsdale to be by his father's side. At house shows, they announced Kurt being absent due to family problems. Memory serves Kurt was replaced by Owen Hart in Toronto, so Owen got wins over Rick Martel and Diesel and interfered in Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler match as well. Battle Bowl on November 20th, nothing new there. Survivor Series has the same there. Um, he doesn't have the doinks anymore, though, with Savage and Men on Mission. This is the doinks. Rumors vary about the identity of the doinks. Almost certainly be Matt Bourne, Stephen Lombardi, and a couple of other white chubby guys. A recent rumor has the three knights being Del Rios, Jeff Jarrett, and Terry Funk. But take that with a grain of salt. So, obviously, two tying into the Memphis stuff there. Uh, Chad, any thoughts on this uh, pretty interesting batch of notes? That said, he said Valentine was married to Medusa? Yeah, I caught that, too. Yeah, I, I feel like that was a rumor back then. I mean... They do come in. Both of them do come in. So, <laughs> no, well, that's <laughs> incorrect. She was very much married at that point to uh, not Greg Valentine, but uh, <laughs> Ken Blackman, I think. She did marry uh, Eddie Gilbert for a brief period, but not <laughs> Valentine. So, that was my main takeaway. I was taken aback by that. <laughs> I couldn't get past that. <laughs> Medusa and Valentine. That's funny. Um, uh, I mean, obviously the, the announcement, the steroid stuff, even before technically, as we just mentioned, the indictment had even come out mm -hmm. like he had, he kind of already knew shit was going down. So, uh, it wasn't a secret. Um, I feel like the Hogan to WCW stuff was just, I don't say it was invented because I'm sure there, there, there were some rumblings, but it's almost like automatically because he wasn't at the WWF anymore that. Oh, he must be going to WCW. Like, it was like, I, I almost feel like they were. But he was talking to them. Like, I know that was a thing. And plus the Thunder and Paradise. Yeah. And, and I know Hogan's book is a big grain of salt, but I think he talks about it. And there were Bischoff's book, one of them. They talk about, like, how Bischoff tried to get him in in 93 um, a couple times. And then it finally broke through in 94. So it wouldn't shock me if the rumors are there. But I think part of what you're saying is right. Like that. They're assuming any little hint means the deal is done, which I don't think was necessarily the case yet. Because it's yeah. I mean he doesn't show up until June, so I don't think I don't think he was signed for that long. And I know in Hogan's book he said that Vince tried to get him to come back for ten when he right. heard WCW was getting close. So there had yeah. to be something going on at this time because Vince does panic a bit before WrestleMania. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. It just it's, it just makes me laugh at automatically. Oh, look at these hints and, da, 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 and all this other stuff. But I'm sure they were a lot closer than um, than you know than was led on. But right. Uh, but yeah, it seems like they they have the pulse on what's going on with WCW in terms of the the shows. But the the steroid stuff was definitely starting to come up to the surface more and more with every week. And I remember I remember Funk being rumored too as one of Lawler's nights. Like I don't think that's yeah, that super do. far off. Yeah. Yeah. And then something about his horse dying or his horse sick or something. Yeah. <laughs> I I remember that too. Yeah. All right. Last one, November 18th, 1993. Jerry Lawler has been dumped by the WWF due to legal problems resulting from charges that he had sex with a minor. Many details are sure to follow in the weeks to come. Lawler does maintain his innocence, but the WWF, currently under federal microscope, had no choice but to turf him. He'll be replaced by Shawn Michaels in Survivor Series. And after Survivor Series, Michaels will feud with Razor Moan to determine who is the rightful Intercontinental Champion. There's talk that Sherry Martel will once again return to manage Michaels. As reported last week, WCW suspended both Sid and Arn Anderson pending an investigation of their bloody fight. In England, officially, the investigation is still going. Reports vary, with one saying Sid will be retained, and most saying the locker room talk is he'll be gone. After the editing out of Sid's triumphant run in on Saturday night this past week, one will conclude he's being history. Of course, Sid would be unable to work the Orlando taping, so even if he was being kept on, it might be prudent to remove the babyface push they were working toward. Some character quotes from Arn in this paper, and it's just Arn being Arn. Toronto Star, once again, uh, reports Greg Valentine's back to WWF. The story is nearly identical to last week. So this time, Medusa is identified as his girlfriend, not his wife. So maybe they were dating, Chad. Or I mean, maybe the Toronto Star just doesn't know what they're talking Yeah, I mean, she was still married, but I don't know. The Star yes. also reports that Roddy Piper is being talked about to have a match against Alex Luger. My inference is this having an attempt to mimic the ultimate warrior effect by having Luger be a well-known babyface to give him much needed stature. But I am doubtful considering the source. So maybe it's bullshit that he's dated Medusa based on this Toronto star. Also saying Roddy Piper is coming in to fight Lex Luger. The reason that Hawk versus Rick Root at the clash had no work in it is Hawk blew out his knee nine days earlier in a match in New Japan. He kept his commitment to work on the bum knee. Matt Bourne, the first doink, has now left the WWF and is working the indies. Talk in one local wrestling column is Bret Hart being unpopular with his peers due to his enormous ego, displayed many times recently discussing <laughs> Ric Flair. Hart's growing ego out of the ring has sparked talk that he'll turn heel again in the future. Hart's in the process of renegotiating his contract. The Undertaker is on the cover of the calendar for 1994. Big deal. Well, many people are figuring that means Vince thinks he's the number one babyface in the company, which means he could be winning the title soon. Uh, rep, uh, promoting Battle Bowl here again. One thing is expected from the show on Saturday night. After it airs, Arn Anderson talks about Paul Roma betraying him. It seems that betrayal will be scheduled to take place at Battle Bowl. With Arn out of the mix, Dusty might have to get creative if he still wants to go with that storyline and having Roma maybe betray Ric Flair instead. Wow. I think they just break up, right? There's no real betrayal? Yeah, there's not, like... I mean, essentially, Flair gets, you know, thrusted into the Starcade main event very quickly has the face and is all of a sudden great buddies with Ricky right, Steamboat, right, yeah. you know, so it, 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 they pretty much just put the whole horseman thing out, out of the window with that. All right. Survivor series, uh, rundown again, still pretty much the same rumors about the identity of the participants above matches. The four doings look to be Steve Lombardi, Philip Hollow, and the Bushwhackers. So we get a little oh bit closer. Uh, the three knights may be picked up from Jeff Jarrett, Terry Funk, Del Rios, Glenn Jacobs, and Brian Costello. Starcade in uh, 1227, Flair versus Vader. 
retirement versus the title, Sting versus Rude, Arn versus Roma. New Japan lineup, Tenru versus Anoki, Fujinami versus go. Hogan, Goto versus Super Strong Machine, Sasaki and Hawk <laughs> versus Hercules and Scott Norton, Jushin yeah. Liger, he's finally got this There we line. go. He's just took him long enough. <laughs> versus Tiger Mask and Muto and Hase versus the Steiners, and then Rumble in Providence and Mania in New York. All right, so that does that. And with that said, of course, we'll now... Transition still here in 1993, but we're going to go ahead and move along again to Scott Criscolo in his vintage pop culture corner to talk again by Janet Jackson, which is the number two song of the nation right now. Yes, it is, Jaron. Uh, so we go back to the week of November 20th, uh, 1993. Uh, Meatloaf, Side with 20 Things for Love, number one. Again, by Janet Jackson, two. Uh, All That She Wants by Ace of Base at three. Gangsta Lean by DRS at four. Just Kicking It by Xscape at five. Shoop by Salt and Pepper, the Shoop song. The Salt and Pepper Shoop, not the Whitney Houston Share later in the decade. <laughs> yeah, that too. Please Forgive Me by Brian Adams at seven. Hero by Mariah Carey eight hey mr dj by zane at nine and dream lover by mariah carey at 10 so two mariah carries in the bottom uh in the end of the um of the uh countdowns so there we go there uh let us go now to the cinema and see what is going on uh the week of november of 1993 november 19th here is your top 10 actually your top eight Jurassic Park, still doing well, even though at this point they're at $330 million. The Piano at seven. The Nightmare Before Christmas at six, a little Tim Burton action. Man's Best Friend made its debut at number five. My Life at number four. Carlito's Way. No, not that Carlito. Carlito's Way, another good mob movie with Al Pacino at three. The Three Musketeers at number two. And making their, uh, making its debut that weekend, number one at the box office. Adam's Family Values. Did you see that, Jer? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I did. Yeah, Chad, did you see that? Yeah, that was a uh, a pretty uh, big favorite as my childhood. So, mm-hmm. so good movies there. In uh, good movies there uh, this week in 1993. But we obviously go from music to movies to taking the field. You ready, Chad? Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> 90, 93 NFL is very fuzzy, but I'll do my best. All right, well, here's where we stand. I defeated Mr. Football himself, Ryan Gray, three weeks ago, or three episodes ago. Uh, oh. Six to four. Defeated Ryan again because he popped in at No Mercy, and he took another beating, six to three. Um, and then me and Rock. Worse, worse sub in than the Knights at Survivor Series 93. <laughs> no, Ryan Gray is more Frank Costello than Terry Funk, that's for sure. Yes. 
so with that lead, uh, me and Rocco tied 8-8 in a very uh, well-contested yeah. battle. Mm-hmm. So that puts us at, what, 20 uh, to 15 going into tonight, Chad. All right. Okay. Well, this is, uh, we are in week 12 of the 1993 season. And, uh, wow, Chad and I, uh, butting heads right out of the gate. We go to the Georgia Dome place where the Cowboys would know very well in a few months as the world champion Dallas Cowboys take on the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, JR. I will take your Cowboys. Sorry, Chad. Uh, this is the only one I actually know. I'm taking the Falcons. Damn. That Chadley is correct. Bobby Bear threw for 315. Cowboys lose. Falcons win 27 to 14. Well, a lot of Falcons fans, like as they entered the George era, era kind of pointed to that as a turnaround point. So. Mm-hmm. Um, next, we go to Rich Stadium in Buffalo as the Bills will host the Indianapolis Colts. Chad. I'll take the Bills. I as well. Bills win. 23 to 9. Jim Kelly throws for 274. Thurman Thomas rushes for a buck 16. Let's go to old Municipal Stadium, the mistake by the lake in Cleveland. The Browns host the Houston Oilers, JR. I will take Houston. Yeah, Oilers. Uh, some guy named Phil Cox threw for 316 yards for the Browns, but the Oilers win 27 to 20. Let's go to Lambeau Field in Green Bay. The Packers host the Detroit Lions. Uh, Chad. Uh, it's at Green Bay. It's at Lambeau, yes. I'll take Packers. I feel like we're right on the doorstep of them getting relevant again, but we're still in prime Barry Sanders. And I think 93, like those few years there, like the Lions were still playoff-level team, so I'm going to take Detroit. Uh, Brett Favre, slowly growing. He threw for 259. Barry Sanders held at just 75 yards. Packers win 26-17. to we go to Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, where the Chiefs host the Chicago Bears. Uh, let's see. Uh, JR. Chiefs at home. Yeah, I got to go Chiefs at home, too. I didn't realize Dave Craig was still uh, quarterbacking in 1993, and Marcus Allen was a Chief. Didn't matter. Bears won, 1917. Oh, wow. Uh, let's go to uh, the Orange Bowl. Well, I don't know if it's called. I, don't know. I guess Joe Robbie Stadium, I guess, in Miami. The Dolphins hosting the New England Patriots. Uh, Chad. Uh, I'll go with Marino and the Dolphins. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, Drew Bledsoe in his rookie year did throw for 275, but the Dolphins win 17-13. To Giant Stadium in the Meadowlands we go. The J-E-T-S Jets, Jets, Jets against the Cincinnati Bengals, J-R. Uh, I will take the Jets in this one. Uh, yeah, I'll do Jets too. I'll throw you a bone. Oh, thanks. Well, if, uh... <laughs> David Klingler uh, was anything good. Uh, I agree. Uh, Adrian Morrell, 52 yards for it, right? Adrian Morrell, is that who it was? Mm-hmm. 52 yards. <laughs> but the Jets win, 17-12. If you want to throw me a bone, you would have picked against him, Chaz. So I could get the point on <laughs> was, was Boomer Esiason, he's gone? Or, uh, no, he's there, and that's his year, right? 93? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So current team versus former team. <laughs> Next, we go to Mile High Stadium in Denver. The Broncos host the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, Chad. I'll do uh, Elway and the Broncos. Yeah, me too. John Elway throws for 276. Broncos win easily, 37 to 13. To Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia, the Eagles and the New York Football Giants, JR. I'll take Philly. I'll go the other way, Giants. Uh, 
this game was obviously a pile of hot shit. Or the weather sucked. Giants seven, Eagles three. Uh, back to people sucks. So well, actually, the Giants because the Cowboys and the Giants were battling at the top. So it was just a good defensive game. Who knows? Let's go to Anaheim Stadium uh, for the Rams and Washington. Jr. Uh, I'll take the Rams at home. I'll do the Redskins. Oh, excuse me, Washington football team. Well, they were technically the Redskins. We are very retroactive here, and we don't care. Uh, but it doesn't matter because they lost. Rams 10, oh. the, uh, R, the uh, WRs 6. We go to Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego. The Murph Chargers hosting the Raiders. Chad. I'll go, I guess, Chargers. I'll take the Raiders. We had a few high-scoring games this week, but third straight low-scoring game. Raiders win on the road 12-7. Weird. We go to the Big Sombrero, Tampa Stadium, for the Bucks hosting Minnesota. Uh, I will take Minnesota. Chet? Uh, Bucks. Just three times, huh? Uh, Bucks win, 23 mm. to 10. Come on. Greg Erickson for 239. <laughs> and finally, on Monday night at the Stick. Candlestick Park in San Francisco. The 49ers host the New Orleans Saints. Uh, I'll do 49ers. Yeah, 49ers. Yeah, Yeah, no problem there. Steve Young threw for 205. Niners win easily 42-7. Jesus. So there's week 12. What do do we got? All right. Well, I made up a little ground late. That stupid Tampa one hurt. But uh, Chad wins a week 10-8, so he gets bragging rights. But I'm still, uh, still leading the field, so I'll take it. There we go. Okay. Could have been worse. It was trending a lot worse there for a couple minutes. That is true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, there were five NBA games on this night. Uh, the Lakers, who were this is really the the dearth here, uh, pre Shaq, they got bought, blown out by by Golden State, uh, and that's pretty much the deal of that. Uh, Portland got their revenge on the Bulls for two years earlier with an almost thirty point win. Uh, Knicks out of the gate at seven and one lead the Atlantic. Hornets at five and two. Jr. leading the Central. Uh, Rockets out of the gate at eight and zero to start the season, and Seattle, the SuperSonics, lead the Pacific at six and zero. Very early in the NBA season, and finally on the Frozen Pond, we go to uh, some NHL on this evening. Let's see uh, a bunch of games. Teams we care about: Bruins beat the Sharks three to one. Let's see, Devils beat the Senators five two. Whalers lost in Philly six to three. Rangers lead the Atlantic with uh, actually it's a, twi- a tie. Rangers and Devils tied with 28 points apiece in the Atlantic. Uh, Penguins and Bruins tied with 25 points apiece in the Northeast. Uh, Maple Leafs lead the Central with 32, and Calgary leading the Pacific with 31. And that Jr. is your pop culture corner. All right, very good. Listen, we have lots of great stuff for you across all of our podcast networks. This uh, feed right here, the Police of Nation Wrestling Feed, Scott, anything you want to highlight on that? Uh, we had a great week uh, last week. Uh, new episode of uh, Through the Looking Glass, myself and Dave Hall. Interesting topic this month uh, in honor of the, uh, the late, great Scott Hall. We kind of went alternate and tried to find spots in his career where he could have been a world champion. Uh, I'm looking forward to you listening, Chad, because I'm curious what you're what you think of our theories. Dave and I came up with a couple of interesting theories. You too, Jr. As to uh, uh, where we put spots for um, uh, for Scott Hall to be a world champion. Pretty interesting. So mm. check that out through the looking glass. New episode of Highway to the Impact Zone with uh, 
Logan, one of the Cider Boys, and the rest of the gang. New episode of NWA Rock and Roll. Of course, the NWA Saturday special and et cetera. So everything great on there. Old Reliable, place to be .com. And follow anything, it on Twitter. Anything going on in the uh, pop experience you want to mention? Uh, yeah, good stuff over there, as always, with uh, uh, with Andy Atherton and Miranda and Jenny and all the gang over there. Great movie shows. Uh, as a matter of fact, JR, our next episode in a couple weeks, uh, we will have a guy that does a show over on uh, the pop feed. Mm -hmm. uh, so check all that stuff out over on the it's ptbmpop.podbean.com. Great stuff over there tv movies music tons of fun what's going on over in the no, no so jr chad yeah pass it off to chad <laughs> yeah show shows every day Pronoso daily we're uh, in the middle of 1986 we're a couple of saturday night main events as well as the big event uh for that year on uh wrestling war zone we our next episode when this airs will be fall brawl 96 mm -hmm. so i'm looking forward to that um another big pay-per-view as we talked about this is probably one of the greatest stretch of consecutive pay-per-views in history uh, wcw is just on an awesome roll of pay-per-views so we'll see if that continues with fall brawl yeah, and that's every other Thursday, North-South. And like Chad said, we just have stuff coming at you um, literally every day with Cronosa Daily and beyond, whether it's evergreen wrestling content, um, current wrestling content, which we have podcast focuses on AEW. We have preview shows for every major current uh, you know, Dodi pay-per-view event, plus immediate recaps after all AEW and Dodi pay-per-view events as well. And then also the recently migrated Jenny position comes at you uh, Wednesdays. So any of Jenny Smith's podcasts, you can find those Wednesdays on the North South as well. So check all of that out. And now we'll fast forward to 2007. Because it's time to talk Survivor Series 2007. All right. Toy Green. get you from november 18th 2007 from the american airlines arena in miami florida 12,500 in attendance 341,000 buys the 21st annual survivor series event the october 29th raw included a matrix style vignette with the words please stand by appearing the following week can you break the code and the answer is the code appeared on screen as well on november 1st brooke adams was released the next day dh smith David Boysmith Jr. was suspended 30 days and Chris Masters 60 days after failing drug tests. That same day, we saw the passing of the fabulous Moolah. Lillian Ellison passed away at the age of 84. Funeral on November 7th with 200 in attendance, including Stephanie McMahon, who gave the eulogy, and Shane McMahon, who read a poem. Chris Canyon, Ric Flair, and Judy Martin were also in attendance. <laughs> so just uh, six days into a suspension, Chris Masters was released on November 8th. Oh, and the day after the show, Carlito gave his notice. So, Scott, we've been bemoaning him lately quite a bit here um, heading into this sh uh, show over the last few pay-per-views. And it looks like he also felt that he was probably going nowhere uh, until the writing of the wall. So Carlito gave his notice to lead the pr promotion. Yeah, I mean, it's no surprise. I mean, we talked about the last two or three shows. We felt he was kind of hot earlier in 07. 
um, and then just kind of was floating aimlessly. I don't know. I guess they kind of focused on other things. I would have thought maybe to help him out, maybe better off, maybe moving him to, to ECW and maybe be a guy that, that could get some shots with punk and he could kind of change his attitude a little bit and not be as, you know, be a little more serious to kind of fit the, the, the brand. I think that might've been a smart move to, to maybe send him to ECW, but instead they just let him stay on SmackDown and, uh, or was it raw kind of keep mm-hmm. on raw, just kind of flounder. So it, it was obviously the writing was on the wall that they didn't want to do anything. And, and Carlito, instead of just waiting to get dumped, uh, realized, Hey, there's other places for me to go. So he just walked away. It doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I mean, and we've talked about it too. Like the, uh, yeah, he hasn't seemed super, super motivated himself, regardless of where he is in the show. Like it seems like they right. did try and give him a couple chances. It just, there's this time. I mean, he's been around what, three full years just about. Mm. And yeah. I think he had kind of hit everything. He is a guy I'm surprised has not come back. Um, outside of a couple spots here and there. Like, it seems like they always bring all these guys back. <laughs> so it seems like he would have popped in at some point, but right. he's not there. All right, let's head inside uh, the Miami arena here. A solid opening video focused on the tradition of Survivor Series, and then we get all a preview of our big matches ahead. The raucous Miami crowd welcomes us in. Joey Styles is here to set the table for our big event. And we're going to start some ECW action here tonight as CM Punk defends the ECW championship against The Miz and John Morrison in a triple threat. This marks the first time ECW titles being defended at Survivor Series. On October 30th, CM Punk defeated James Curtis in a non-title match, got attacked by John Morrison afterward. The next week, Punk pinned John Morrison with a roll-up, and The Miz showed up halfway through the match and threw his hat at Morrison. Three days later, SmackDown was announced that Punk would face both these guys at Survivor Series, and later that night, Punk was facing Jamie Noble in a non-title match. When Miz and Morrison both attacked him, Punk fought them off until Noble helped him clear the ring. So that brings us to our match. Punk in his early card role. He's kind of been in for most of the year. He's usually delivered as well. Joey does note it's the first time ECW title is defended at Sorry Series and the first time it's defended at Triple Threat Rules as well here in the WWE. Miz and Morrison are also now the SmackDown Tag Team Champions, but they will be, of course, clashing as they go to war here. We've had a big glow up for Miz, who's starting to piece things together as 07 is winding down. Miz and Morrison work together to start. They batter Punk, who pushes through and lands a nasty kick on Miz. The strikes by Punk are pretty on point through all this. They're sharp. They connect. Miz and Morrison are good stooging as well. Fun open to the match. The crowd is pretty hot for Punk. He continues to control. Joey and Taz do a good job putting him over as well. Miz and Morrison take back over. They continue to work as a team. Miz finally gets sneaky and shoves Morrison off the top to the floor. But he can't take advantage in time and Morrison returns. Punk tries to find a seam where we can land some shots when Miz and Morrison have issues. Uh, and really, they should have stuck to the strategy because it starts to fall apart on them here. Punk survives some near falls, keeps plugging ahead. We get a good spot as Miz pulls Punk from the ring to the floor by his legs. Nice hard bump. Really good flow as it's just go, go, go with all three. He gets a good teases. With Punk out, Morrison goes all out trying to beat his partner. Gets two on a springboard corkscrew with Punk making the save. Things keep humming along as Miz almost pins his partner with a powerbomb. Punk heats up and starts to knife through Miz. With his closing offense, Morrison nabs a near fall on a roll-up as we flow through a flurry of covers. Punk eventually shoves Morrison outside and finishes Miz with a go-to-sleep to a pop. I thought it was a fun opener. The crowd was rocking. The flow was good. It was a crisp match. Miz and Morrison working together to show their strengths as a team, but once they veered off, it cost them. And I thought the finish was done well, too, with Punk escaping and, and rolling on as champ. So this is a nice start to the show. Sky went three and a quarter stars. 
And uh, I think it's a good choice to get Miz and Morrison into a role as tag champions. I think we've seen Morrison probably peaked as a solo act right now, and this gives Miz some cover as well to grow. So uh, what do you think of the match, and what do you think of them as a team? Uh, I like the match. I gave it three and a quarter as well, but it's definitely time for Punk to move on to other people. Um, you know, him and Morrison and him have been attached to each other since June. Uh, they had like a zillion matches together, belts changed hands. I think it's time for Punk to move on and find other opponents. Uh, and yeah, I think it's good. I mean, Miz is, you know, Miz is Miz. I mean, probably at the time, one of the most annoying fucking people in the whole roster. So, so, I mean, uh, he was probably due to have, uh, you know, some help and, um, uh, Morrison's that guy. They kind of get along well together. They're like that. So, uh, I, uh, I liked it. I liked the, the combination of those two. They help each other. Um, because their solo careers at the moment are kind of stagnant. And again, Punk is champion, needs to move on to other guys within ECW. Uh, so I, I had no problem with uh, with that change, that transition for those guys, Chad. But I did enjoy the match. Punk's kind of on a roll. What are your thoughts on ECW at this moment? We're, what, about, uh, what would you say, a uh, year and a half into its mm-hmm. into its essence? What do you think about it so far in general? And what do you think of this match? Uh, I mean, I think Punk is kind of your player standout. He's starting to come into his own, but I, I, I feel like, and we'll see if this holds true, uh, as it transitions to 2008. I mean, as far as relevance is concerned, it was already starting to lose some steam, and I feel like 2008 for sure it really uh, deflates with like Chavo, Kane, whatnot. Um, as for this match itself, I'm a little bit lower. I went two and three quarters. I thought it was fine good uh i did like like i was so conditioned to miz and morrison as a tag team um and i wasn't very familiar with this show or this error so i uh had to kind of recondition my mindset to say like oh they weren't really tagging regularly even though they were the champions um did some like cage match digging and saw that pretty much after this they are tagging exclusively uh, so I did like that kind of thread line throughout the match of them kind of coming together at points as a team. Uh, there was also a few good three-way spots. Uh, the Rana that Punk gives to Morrison that uh, leads right into the powerbomb by Miz. That was a great spot. But uh, there was also some kind of standing around in general three-way tropes that annoy me. So overall, I thought it was a very solid opener, but uh, just clocked it in at two and three quarters. All right, we got a recap of the end of the road for MVP and Matt Hardy when MVP finally turned on his tag team partner and busted up his knee. It was a good attack, but a sad ending to really the team that's carried us through most of 2007 here on the SmackDown midcard. And Cole says as part of this, MVP took out his main rival for the U.S. title. Anastasia is backstage, (laughs) interviews MVP, who says Hardy's unable to walk without a crutch, so he can't compete tonight. He says Hardy's whole career has been propped up by a crotch, either Jeff or now him, and he's the best in this arena tonight. I thought it was a pretty good promo by MVP. I like the crutch line saying it's Hardy. Matt Hardy's always relying on someone to carry him. Up next is a 10 Diva Survivor Series tag match uh, announced on the November 12th Raw. And no real uh, build to speak of, but our teams are Beth Phoenix, Layla, Jillian Hall, Victoria, and Melina taking on Tori Wilson, Michelle McCool, Kelly Kelly, Maria, and Mickey James. We get Jim Ross and the King on the call here. Uh, I thought Beth looked great with the title. She's really a steady, dominant champion now in place on Raw. 
Jared reminds us Victoria is romantically linked to Kenny Dykstra. So there you go. <laughs> Storyline you may not remember. We <laughs> also get a pretty classic moment here as Melina botches her split coming in and then laughs it off and then does it again for the fans. Michelle and Kelly have Miami gear on, trying to kiss up a bit. JR tells us Kelly's dating Balls Mahoney, and Maria is linked to Santino. So apparently everyone in late 07 is hooking up all the divas. King says, I found the angel I want to be touched by, and he just needs to shut up. And I know this was timely given our uh, update with Herb, 1993, uh, Perv King then. And 14 years later, Perv King's still at it. JR notes it's the first time since 1987 to have 10 divas at Survivor Series, not elimination. We rotate through some tags. We get some basic strikes and pin attempts. King uh, gets his usual talking point over all the women hating each other. Victoria gets a nice spinning side slam on Tori. She really kind of stood out early here. Kelly shows some fire but wants Layla, but she dodges her. Jillian makes Kelly motorboat her, but Kelly gets some shine and almost pins her. JR says Jillian's no great muda when she tries her handspring elbow. Beth steps in and wrecks Maria like a rag doll, which is a good way to deploy this batch of divas. Just lots of quick spots and tags, keeping things moving and simple. We get a nice flyer by Mickey, who comes in hot. She's all over Melina. The action picks up with these two, much quicker and, and a harder work between them. Mickey plants a big kiss on Melina and then buries her with a kick to the face for the win. And actually, that's a pretty good use of the divas. Uh, it was quick pace, was flowing. The finish was good, too. I thought Mickey was the right choice to get the pin. Beth got her shine, but doesn't take the loss. So all good there. And they kept things moving. You know, King, obviously, and JR kind of sucked. But um, because we're trying to legitimize the division, and they're working to delegitimize with their commentary. But, Chad, I went, surprisingly enough, two and a quarter. I, I like the way this played out. Um, and do you think out of this crop of divas is the contender for Beth the next contender on this roster, or are we looking for someone else? Uh, I mean, I think there's options here. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of a monster rating. <laughs> I, I went star and a half. Um, I, I mean, I thought the introductions were as long as the match itself. Um, there, there was a couple of sequences I thought were pretty good. Victoria and Michelle McCool, I thought I had a pretty good mm-hmm. uh, sequence. Uh, and then Mickey and Melina at the end was was not bad either. I agree though, like the commentary really works against that. Um, I do think like Beth Phoenix versus Victoria versus Mickey. I mean, there's there's talent here. Even mm-hmm. somebody like Michelle McCool. I've, I've, in the couple of sprinkling of matches I've watched from this era, uh, I, I've kind of come back to some mat wrestling and stuff that McCool's done and Ben I always seem to be kind of impressed and surprised. Um, th- there's still some like Jillian Hall who's not very good. Tori never was that very good and isn't here, but um, overall it, it does feel like a transition for the division where you have Mickey, you have, you have uh, Beth Phoenix, Victoria, more, work rate heavy first uh ladies wrestling and then you also have people that like michelle mccool and um that that can kind of go in between you know like you know for the tna but also can work when needed melina i'd put in that bucket as well yeah i gave it two and a quarter um i've said all along and i i've said it uh jr when we've had plenty of of women's title matches the roster, I mean, these women are working their butts off. And, mm-hmm. and no, the matches are not the greatest on the planet, technically. But um, it's more than just them, like, you know, moving around and, and you know, stooging. And they do, I mean, some of the backstage stuff kind of de- 
desensitizes it, I guess you could say, I guess if that's the right word, probably not, but kind of um, de- uh, delegitimizes, I guess, mm-hmm. the, the delegitimizes the fact that they work their tail off in the ring. We've had this before, JR, where, you know, Candice Michelle wrestles an awesome match and then she's sitting there all sweaty, whipping her towel around in front of the Hardys or whatever. Like, right. You know, it, 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 it's I, I understand they have sex appeal and that's fine, but your champion should at least be treated like a champion, you know, not just, you know, some hot chick with a belt. Like, you have to treat her like a champion. And you look at this roster of, of, of women in this match, and they all could work really hard to be uh, top-notch women's champions. But right now, the best, the best thing to do is just leave the, be- the, the belt on Beth. I mean, she's mm-hmm. she's on all of them. She's, she's the most imposing. Um, but, yeah, the commentary, I mean, this is just getting so old. So old. And you would have thought that, like, when the Cena era really kicked into gear, that they would arch amp this crap back. I mean, the women could look beautiful while while wrestling, but you would have thought that that the commentary would would stop sounding like it's 1999. And sadly, I think the problem is longest King's era. This is how it's going to be. And Jr. is also dated with that stuff, right? So, I mean, he he might try, but I think it just gets dragged down by King's bullshit. And right, yeah. Hmm. Otherwise, though, not not a bad match. I give it two and a quarter. Not not terrible. Uh, I, I was, you said, I was actually thrown off too. I thought this was a survivor match. I don't know why it wasn't. Right. Um, maybe well, I know why, <laughs> but yes. Yeah. Well, cause I wanted to, yeah. Cause it would have been, we would have had to listen to the commentary for probably another <laughs> seven or eight minutes. Um, but no, I had no problem with it. It was good to get all the women, the major mm-hmm. players. W- was Candace hurt? Is that why she wasn't in this match? It's kind of weird. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I feel like she's yeah, been deprioritized a bit. Yeah. Chad, do you remember, was she hurt? I, I don't know. This is <laughs> this is all this is all. When, when when they came out, all ten of them, I was like, oh okay, they were around at this time. So you don't recall Chad uh, Candace's injury history, Chad? No. no. <laughs> Damn you! Um, all right, let's go backstage uh, where the coach and William Regal are standing and smirking with Hornswoggle, who has a big match ahead of him tonight, taking on the Great Kali. We then get pre-recorded comments from Randy Orton and Shawn Michaels. Some pretty basic stuff to hype their match which is not next because up next is our raw tag team title match with Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch taking on hardcore Holly and Cody Rhodes. Interesting team mm-hmm. on November 5th, Cody Rhodes pinned Trevor Murdoch with a roll-up. We started to get some seeds of dissension between the champions. Cade and Murdoch had been brewing for weeks at that point. November 22nd, they lost a match with Cade accidentally clothesline Murdoch. And the next week, Mickey James and Murdoch were in a backstage interview where Mickey thanked Murdoch for saving her from Cade from Cade the following week. The team had words backstage when Cade caught Murdoch talking to Mickey. The match was then set via triple threat match on D.com between the Highlanders, Paul London, and Brian Kendrick, and Cody Rhodes and Hardcore Holly, with the winning team getting a shot at the titles. So we have the rookie Cody working against old, angry veteran Holly to gain experience. They find themselves in the title picture, and they earn the shot in that WD.com Heat exclusive. Cade and Murdoch continue to control the Raw Tag Division, which they have for most of the back end of the year. Cody and Cade start off with Cody showing a little bit uh, with withstanding initial rush from Cade. Cody works the arm, but Cade takes him down and the champs get to work with their bullying offense. JR says Cody's trying to earn Holly's respect. Holly tags in and chops away a Murdoch, who tags out right after. Cade clubs away a bit, but we keep back and forth with the flow. No sustained control. The champs eventually get dumped outside and Holly and Rhodes are looking good. The champs do recover and take control of Holly after a big Trevor Murdoch boot. King mocks Trevor's hair, saying his whole family has the same haircut. And that his barber also does his lawn. 
Caden Murdoch grinding on Holly, a lot of strikes and a modified chin lock to keep him grounded. The crowd is sticking with it, though. Cody eventually gets the hot tag and comes in and cleans house. Things break down quickly from there as Trevor gets to the Canadian Destroyer on Cody for the win. And that is a tough loss, luck loss for the rookie. But Holly gives him some daps after for the hard-fought uh, battle. Solid match. The champs continue to bruise their way through the division, pick up another win. And it's a good story with Cody. We'll see how it works for him with Holly. Uh, so Sky went two and a half. And, I mean, do you think this is a good way to bring Rhodes along? Is there a different approach you would have taken? Uh, Holly's kind of feels like a relic at this point, but not the worst use to him. Um, I gave it two and a half, uh, two and a quarter. Um, no, I think it's fine. I mean, you know, Cody is, you know, it's amazing looking back 15 years. Um, you know, this is a good spot for him to just have a good hard fought match with two, uh, you know, two seasoned tag workers who would have thought that 15 years later, two of these guys would be NWA world world champions. Pretty funny. Um, but I, I thought it's a, it's a solid tag. Uh, Caden Murdoch, I, I was, I was not crazy about the dissension cause they're, they're a good rock solid team. Um, and I don't, I gotta be honest, I'm, I'm maybe Cade, but I don't know if Murdoch would have been a solo guy at that point. So I think it was better just leave them a team teasing the dissensions fine, but I, I hope it wasn't in their plans to break them up because it would have made no sense. Uh, they're, they're, they're a rock solid team in, in the raw division, particularly after the Hardy split and they're not a team anymore. This was a good spot for, uh, you know, that's a good spot for them to be with the top heel team. Um, I think this was a good spot in a bubble for Cody. Uh, I wouldn't want him to hang around with hardcore that much longer. Um, maybe he could do some other stuff and maybe team with another young guy and have like a good up and coming tag, a tag team on raw. But yeah, he does seem hardcore. Holly does seem kind of, he definitely seems dated in 2007, but for this specific match in a bubble, it's perfectly fine. Chad, uh, again, I gave it two and a quarter, but, uh, eventually I think Cody would be maybe better off with another young partner with him to kind of help him along, you know, grow, um, than having, you know, to have his hand held by this guy who nobody even really cares about. Yeah. Two and a quarter for me as well. Um, you can see what they're doing and, the the thought process behind it's fine. Um, they were already teasing, you know, that Cody was kind of showboating a little bit and uh you, you kind of knew where it was headed uh it's just a uh, hardcore holly by this point definitely had to go away heat with me and um i think that was displayed in this match as well like when he's the face in peril the uh, heat from the miami crowd is not very strong at all um he's just not very sympathetic face in peril at all uh, just with his character the work that Caden Murdoch did was solid, but also pretty unspectacular. Uh, I would say the highlight was the Canadian destroyer that mm-hmm. Murdoch uh, landed at the end. That was a pretty good, pretty impressive finish for a guy his size to do that to Cody to pick up the win. All right, we'll see where the tag division goes wrong. Because I feel like Caden Murdoch, they've been presented somewhat as a dominant team, but they don't feel like it at times. So I'm curious what direction they'll go when they finally kind of move forward and if they are going to split them up are they going to feud or what's going to happen there so we'll see how it plays out we get all the announced teams joining us to refresh the elimination match rules todd grisham is with triple h's team consisting of ray mysterio jeff hardy and kane but they'll be at a disadvantage with matt hardy injured and they're not going to have a replacement so it's going to be five on four 
Kane actually references Katie Vick and Triple H wins because they kind of do this gag where Triple H kind of says, you know, like, whatever, we're, we're all going to work together. And Kane brings that up. Jeff Hardy reminds him that he put him in the hospital and Triple H just says, my bad. And he says, Survivor Series is the one idea where a bunch of guys who have done terrible things to each other can come together and do terrible things to other people instead. And uh, this is a pretty good, funny bit here to uh, hard sell this match and the concept of Survivor Series where guys may not get along, but uh, they will Time be in this match It's amazing how you knock me off my feet. Taking on Mr. Kennedy, Finley, MVP, Umaga, and who am I missing here? Big Daddy V. So, yeah. Interesting combination. The match was announced on the November 5th Raw, and it's really just kind of an amalgamation of various feuds that have been going on. We get Kennedy starting things off. He's bragging on himself, as always, and the rest of the team files out. And I thought it was great to have the traditional matches on the card. I mean, with the rosters as bloated as they were at this point, there's no reason why they can't use these um, shows to do so. So I'm glad that they took advantage of Survivor Series to have this match. Big spot for Big Daddy V uh, in the mix with a bunch of top guys. All six announcers are tagged in for this one, too, so they rotate through it. MVP star power has really grown quite a bit as the year has gone. Umaga is solo here. JR assumes he's the captain as he comes out. Still feeling like a top dog way longer than I would assume so here in 07 uh, very long entrances for everyone getting the full show but the crowd is into it kennedy and ray get us going with a unique match they have a good back and forth with kennedy trying to corral ray who's flying around snagging near falls and hitting quick strikes jeff is in next gets a big pop as he flies around into kennedy mvp takes control for his team he lands their shots while mocking matt's knee injury big daddy's in next he shows off his size mauling jeff hardy kane turns the tide back by mashing mvp he takes it right to v and actually takes him down the flying clothesline and cleans house. Big Daddy recovers and lays Kane out and eliminates him clean, which is pretty shocking and a big push for V, which is well done. T- tough night for Kane. Umaga cuts off Hunter's run and starts to maul him with an aggressive attack. High impact as always. The crowd is loud for Hunter, trying to will him through this. Hunter survives and tags Ray. We get a fun battle between him and Umaga. Umaga catches Ray on a springboard, but Ray punches through it and ends up hitting the 619 and West Coast pop. But Umaga kicks out for a good near fall. He ends up murdering Ray with a swinging side slam and finishes him with a spike. The faces are in some deep trouble here as Umaga's team is dominating 
Hardy starts a long climb back by dealing with Kennedy, fends off the assault, looking for the quick strike. In comes MVP, grinds down Jeff with a chin lock, but Hardy fights out of it. He hangs in and eliminates MVP, getting revenge for his brother and inching him a little bit closer. Kennedy comes right in, gets to work, tries to finish things off, but Hunter gets a tag. He beats on Kennedy. Kennedy ends up eating a Big Daddy V elbow by accident, ending his night, bringing us almost close to even. Big Daddy pulls Hunter outside, but Jeff pitches in, and they try and swarm him, but that fails. V tries to batter both guys, but he misses a charge to the corner. Hunter and Jeff double DDT him and end his night, and now we are even. And I thought Big Daddy V was one of the kind of surprise showings of this match overall. Finley is all is all over Triple H as we're down to a tag match. JR forces in a Charlie Weiss joke, and Taz takes a shot at Bob Stoops. Triple H survives and tags Jeff. We get a fun high energy back and forth with him and Finley mixing their unique offense together. Finley and Jeff have a long match here. Rock solid stuff as we edge along. Hunter tags in. Cole notes this is a unique matchup that we haven't really seen before, which is true. Hunter controls, landing a nice high knee, but Finley hangs in. Umaga wipes out Hunter, allowing Finley to take control. JR says Umaga is smarter than he gets credit for. He's just controlled their team well. Hunter dodges the Celtic cross and finishes Finley with a pedigree. And the swing is complete as it's now two on one. Umaga's all over Hunter, mauling him in the corner. Hunter hangs on, pedigrees Umaga, and tags Hardy, who finishes and wins the match with the Swanton Bomb. So this is a fun classic Survivor Series match. It was long, it involved everyone, got a lot of time and shine. Everyone looked strong, paid off some feuds as well with a good finish to end the Hunter Umaga feud, but also give Jeff a nice rub as he continues to come up the roster. The crowd was invested the whole time as well. Just a bunch of talented guys getting some time. So Chad went three and a half on this. And uh, do you feel coming off of this match, is it time to pull the trigger on Hardy? And how would you be doing it? Yeah, I went three and a half as well. Very fun match. Um, I agree with you that everybody got some shine. Um, as far as Hardy's concerned, he did feel like he was... Uh, very well protected in this match and held his own. Uh, him as Triple H's partner was a lot of fun. Um, he showed his, you know, flashiness at the end with the Swanton Bomb, uh, but also showed how he could gain sympathy uh, by taking a big attack, which is good, and kind of uh, showed sort of that connective tissue that you need for someone that could be... Uh, inserted into a main event spot so so i thought he did very well in this match i i was really impressed with the hillside like when they came out i thought wow what a hodgepodge of guys that i didn't know would work together uh but i thought they did really well like big daddy v this might be his career match in my mm -hmm. mind like I, I can't think of him looking as dangerous or motivated and much else um he, he looked really good. My biggest critique of this match, and I know why they did it, but I thought his elimination was a little too soft. Um, and they did that. You you could tell why they did that at the finish because it was a double-team move between Triple H and Hardy on Big Daddy V, but um, they wanted to save like the big pedigree Swanton combo for Umaga, which was fine. I mean, Umaga... Um, if I ever get to 2007 and watch it from front to back uh, worldwide, I'm, I'm interested to see where Umaga lands on my overall wrestler of the year list. I think he'll be pretty high. Um, so so I, I thought this was just a really fun match. One of the better uh, weighted kind of Survivor Series teams that you'd had in a while back and forth between the two. Uh, I thought Triple H was a 
very good version of a face Triple H in this match and in this segment. Uh, he wasn't annoying. He wasn't demeaning. He gave the heels shine as well. The crowd was firmly behind him, like chanting for him. He had legitimate, you know, face, uh, um, you know, like face appeal to the crowd. So that was good. Um, and just overall, I, th- I thought I thought this was a blast. So three and a half stars for me, Scott. Yeah, three and a half stars for me as well. And and I agree with you, uh, Chad, 100% on the Triple H face stuff. It wasn't like, oh, you know, I've got to be the coolest guy in the room, Triple H. It's more like, hey, let's let's let me let me support my team and and you know get get this win without having to be the coolest guy in the room kind of thing. So I agree with you on that. Uh, Jeff Hardy, and we'll talk more about him, Jr. Obviously, on our next episode too. Um, I wonder if, because at times I feel like the crowd is into him because it's always they're always into Jeff Hardy. But is the clock ticking on him? Like, are we gonna, you know, he's Intercontinental Champion. He's probably one of the best mid card guys in the history of the company, and obviously one half of the one of the greatest tag teams ever. But I do think that that the clock is ticking that eventually he's he's, you know, he might even be left behind. Is he a relic mm. like like hardcore Holly? No, you're not as bad, obviously, because he's obviously more appealing. But, you know, this this Ross, this this company at this moment is loaded with with uh, with studs. So, uh, you know, is he like, you know, we're, is he part of the resolution or part of the problem. I think, I don't think he feels like a relic because he's perpetually so over and we haven't seen him really in this position yet. My worry with him is his track record tells you if you're going to act, act while he's hot, because if not, there's a chance he ain't around tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like that's why I think I would have pulled the trigger on some semblance of a push as quickly as possible before he right. finds a way to self-destruct. Yeah, I feel like, you know, you know, Jeff Hardy reminds me of kind of like uh, mid early mid 80s WWF Jimmy Snuka, where, you know, you want to strike while the iron's hot. But can you really trust him to have that mantle? Vince Sr. obviously did not. And by the time little Vince took over, you know, Snuka was a relic at that point. Um, so this is it now, you know. If you think of the other baby faces uh, on Raw, um, a, you know, like the guy that he was trying to compete with was a guy like Cena, who right now is on the shelf. So, you know, he can get some of that. He could take some of that that face shine for the time being. I think it's a good time for for Jeff Hardy right now in that Cena's not there. So he's getting a lot of the face love that Cena was kind of splitting with him on. But I definitely want to mention uh, Umaga as a guy who just went with the flow in 2007. It didn't matter what mm-hmm. he put him in, what slot he was in. He, he brought 100% every single time the cameras were on and the lights shined brightest. Whether it was feuding with Cena or the whole Vince Lashley thing or IC champ and feuding with Hardy and he's feuding with Triple H and it didn't matter however to how 2007 went. Uh, Umaga worked his butt off and 
I still think at this point there maybe is a slot for Umaga as a future heel WWE champion. Maybe there is. You know, this is an interesting match in general in the general sense that there's a lot of guys here that you could really push in some capacity somewhere. Like you said, Chad, I could see Big Daddy V at that time just beginning a massive feud and maybe beating Punk and becoming ECW champion. He might have been a good ECW champion. You know, just that girth, you know. So this was a great match in the sense that you're seeing all of these guys at their, at their, you know, in their yeah. element. The only guy is, is friggin' Kennedy. I mean, MVP is MVP right now. Mm-hmm. Or no, he's red hot. Yeah. He's red hot. Finley's Finley. He's just kind of there to be a glue guy. Kennedy's the one I still worry about though. You know, he won money in the bank. Then he yeah. got hurt. Kind of a shit. He shit. definitely seemed lost. Lately. Yeah, he really does. We'll talk more about Kennedy in in, in in the next show because they try to give him like a light, but I don't know if that I don't know if it would have helped him. But I love this match. Three and a half for me. I liked everybody. The crowd was hot. Heels were great. It, it was a well worked yeah. survival. And I think you hit a good point on Amaga too. Like he's I mean, I always assumed again, like after the ECW stuff with Vince, he kind of tapered, but he's been just as good throughout this whole year. He's he's had a great 07 from top to bottom. Uh, and, and just a really underrated run. I think everyone thinks of the Rumble match, the Trump stuff, and then helping Vince. But he, there's been a lot more to it, even right. other than that. And he's been super enjoyable. Yeah. All right, we get some hype for Hell in a Cell later tonight. We get a plug for SmackDown versus Raw 2008 video game. We also see Shaquille O'Neal and his kids in the crowd. We go backstage where Hornswoggle's pacing. Regal tells him to sit down and rest his legs, but he's too nervous. Vince comes in and Hornswoggle hugs his leg. Vince says they have to have a little talk, and he explains why he made this match for tonight. He says it's not because he doesn't like Hornswoggle. It's because as a McMahon, you always overcome and rise to the occasion as an underdog. He was an underdog against Time Warner and the U.S. government, and he beat them both. And he may have to again. There was also that one time in Pakistan, but that's a story for another time. They are warriors with omnipotence in their veins and great foods the size of the Grand Canyon. McMahon stick together. Hornswoggle laughs and Vince smiles, and this is all fucking insane. It's going to bring us to our match. <laughs> we get the tail of the tape for Hornswoggle and Kali, which was pretty funny. Shane McMahon then dances out as a surprise, and Colin JBL's surprised he's here in the house. JBL says he must be here to back up his half-brother. Shane introduces Vince to the crowd. He comes strutting out, brings out his little brother, Hornswoggle McMahon, for this match with Great Kali, which uh, has been building since November 5th when Vince McMahon announced the match. The week later, we showed footage of Hornswoggle training in an empty arena with Jonathan Coachman playing the role of Kali and William Regal overseeing the training. On 11-16 SmackDown, we had the official weigh-in. Hornswoggle checked in 138 pounds while Kali <laughs> broke the scale with his weight. Afterward, Kali took the mic from Colo- Cole and cut a promo on the upcoming match. And then we had a side-by-side uh picture for the photographers as Hornswoggle cried while Kali walked away. Kali marches out with Ranjan Singh. Cole reminds us he is a former world champion. JBL says Hornswoggle is a former cruiserweight champion and reminds us history is littered with the small and few overcoming the big and many. Vince walks up to Kali and stares him down with Shane by his side. Shane gives his brother a big thumbs up as they clear out and get seats at ringside. Singh grabs the mic and reminds us this is a sanctioned match and tells the ref to bring them together. We get the big face-to-face stare down, which is funny. The crowd chants for Shaq as Singh leaves, and we ease into the match. Shaq laughs at ringside as the crowd keeps chanting for him, but Vince tells him to shut up. Says he doesn't care what the crowd wants. The bell rings, and Hornswoggle takes a few shots of Kali, dropkick Singh to the ground as Shane cheers him on. 
Cully laughs at Hornswoggle and scares him to the floor with a yell. Hornswoggle's back in and sprays green mist at Singh and hits the Dez press as Shane is all fired up. Hornswoggle dips under the ring as Kali comes after him and Singh rolls on the ground. Hornswoggle sneaks up back into the ring and Finley uh, has Finley shillelagh with him. Kali returns and yanks the club away and just bashes Hornswoggle with a slap to the head to knock him down. Shane wants to help, but Vince stops him. The crowd's starting to get into it as Kali stalks, stalks Hornswoggle and lines up the vice, but Finley makes a save with a shillelagh, mashes Kali and Singh as Vince looks on in shock. Finley pulls Hornswoggle up and they leave to safety as JBL gets another Oklahoma football joke in. And all right, it is what it was, a full comedy bit. The crowd was into it, but it took up a ton of time and completely killed the flow of what this card had been building. I think they should have done this on Raw or cut all the BS out and just got right into the match. The mist was funny. The slap was intense. And Shane at ringside was funny, too. Um, it could be a possible new direction for Finley that we'll see. But, again, nothing to take away from Hornswoggle or Finley like I, or, uh, or Kali. Like, I thought they did their roles well. It just was way too much. And it just completely um, murders this crowd. So, I gave it one star. Scott, are we ready for a Finley face turn? Is that where we're going with this? Yeah, I think we are. Um... Uh, I gave this half a star. I don't want to go too much into it because it was it was it was not good. I, I it just we had we've had a ton of hot matches tonight. That Survivor match was great that we just talked about. This was crap. I, I would have definitely stuck this on Raw or something and and, mm-hmm. and kept going along. This this really was a was a downer for me. Half a star just because some of it was funny, but I, I don't. I think this was a waste of pay per view time. I think we could have done this better suited on on something else, Chad. I'm just going to let it go from there. Um, as for Finley, I think a face turn is kind of cool. We could use him, um, you know, because we got a lot of, uh, you know, we got another group, you know, the, the heel face mix is kind of a little imbalanced. So turning him face is good, particularly for SmackDown. But this is just a, this was just a mess and a waste of time, particularly when we had just come off a pretty hot survive. If this was like after like the women's match, all right, I could maybe see it because the crowd's still maybe a little tepid. But after the hot survivor match, I thought this kind of was the wrong spot. Mm-hmm. For yeah, quarter star for me. I mean, I've, I felt like we were trending very well on this show, and then it falls off a cliff. Uh, I mean, it's a funny kind of 10-second gag to see the size discrepancy between Kali and Hornswoggle. Um but everything from that's way too drawn out. Vince and Shane feel extremely miscast in an angle like this, where it, uh, you know, it feels like so beneath both of them. The finish is what it is, where like Hornswoggle gets slapped and takes the bump, but then you know Finley saves him, and you get that, but you never even have like really an official finish i didn't think that was announced like was he counted out was he you know i mean what actually happened there we don't know but um oh overall i thought this was very detrimental to the flow of the card overall and the crowd uh as we'll talk about in the next two matches i don't i don't think ever reached the fever pitch they were trending towards uh after the survivor series match so so this was a this was a very kind of pivot point for this show to be, in my mind, really good or great. And I think this was uh, entirely too drawn out and a, mm-hmm. a big mistake. I agree. I think it could have been a segment. I think it maybe could have been a match. But the drawn out version of both just completely 
um, shiv this show. But we'll see if we get back on track because we got some big stuff coming up. We get a WrestleMania 24 ad happening at the Citrus Bowl on March 3rd. We then see Alfonso Soriano and Johnny Gaiman in the crowd. JR and King talk about the WWE title match. We get a video package for that, which is Shawn Michaels yet again challenging Randy Orton for the world uh, for the WWE Championship. On 1029, Shawn Michaels cut an in-ring promo regarding Cyber Sunday when Orton got himself DQ'd. Michaels wanted the rematch. Vince interrupted and said Michaels wanted revenge more than the title, but he would get his rematch at Survivor Series. And Michaels threw a super kick at McMahon, but not connecting just to scare him. On the 11-6 ECW, we saw backstage footage after Raw was shown where Randy Orton and Regal talked about adding stipulations to the match Survivor Series, where if Michaels uses or attempts a super kick, the match is over and he'll never get another title shot. And if Orton tries to get himself disqualified, then he would lose the title as well. On 11-12, Vince hosted an in-ring debate between Orton and Michaels. Orton eventually attacked Sean from behind. He attempted to kick Michaels in the head, but McMahon stopped him, saying he'd have to wait till Sunday. Orton then hit the RKO instead. So, here we go. Big match here. The feud's been pretty hot. Orton continues to be on fire. They've cooked up an interesting story and stipulation in place. Both men come out to the ring with the usual swagger. Orton has grown into the top stalwart heel. JR does a good job talking through the psychology of all the stipulations. King says it'll be a level playing field now. We ease in with some chain wrestling. Sean starts to go at the neck, trying to already figure out a different way to win. The crowd is fully behind him. Sean's relentless with that neck vice, punishing Orton through all sorts of counters. Orton finally breaks free with a heavy flurry of strikes. We get a tease of him pushing the limits to maybe get DQ'd. Sean tries sweet chin music, but pulls back mid-move, which is, again, a good job working the steps in. Sean regains control with the vice and keeps working. Things spill outside where Sean hits a perfect springboard moonsault. Back inside, Orton counters with a high cross body, buries an uppercut to cut momentum. JR questions if Sean's prone to concussions now after these recent attacks as Sean battles back and he gets a sharpshooter, but Orton forces the break. Orton snaps Sean across the top rope, and again he tries to take over, looking like he may have as he works the head of the neck, including a tight hanging DDT for two. Sean comes through a long chin lock, hits a flying forearm, goes through some offense until Orton drop kicks him down. Sean comes right back, is trying to push through to the finish, hits a big elbow, and tunes up the band despite the ref reminding him, but instead he's just baiting Orton into ducking so he can get an inside cradle, which is a really cool looking spot. Sean then goes to the crossface to some ooze. And that's the first appearance since the summer of that move, Chris Benoit uh, using it. So I remember this being pretty controversial overall when Sean broke out this move. And I remember the explanation being, well, the quicker we maybe just start normalizing it, the quicker it gets forgotten. But uh, definitely an interesting approach. Orton, it's a big clothesline to take over. It starts to go at the neck again. Orton bails on an RKO and tries to punt, but Sean blocks it, turns into an ankle lock as he really dips in the bag. Drops into a grapevine, and the crowd bursts with excitement, but Orton again escapes. Orton kicks Sean to the corner, tries an RKO, but Sean shoves off and loads up sweet chin music, but he balks as he remembers, and that gives Orton a chance to hit the RKO to finish Sean clean for the win. Orton smacks Sean around after the match and wants him to admit he's the best, but Sean fires up and hits sweet chin music to pay off that um, teasing throughout the match. Orton sells it awesomely. It was a great spot. Looks like he's dead. Uh, I thought this was really fun. A lot of smart work around the steps. It was fun watching Sean trying to find different ways to win, but in the end, comes up short. Good finish, too, with Sean having a fight instinct, but Orton using his to hit the RKO. And this was nice chemistry with these guys. Both matches have been good. And a big, clean win for Orton as it continues to elevate up the card, Chad. So I went four stars. I've loved Orton in this run. Uh, I thought both matches with Sean, and I thought the chemistry was on point. 
And Orton winning this clean shows just how far he's come throughout 2007. Yeah, Orton looked like a uh, very callous, cold monster here, which is what you want. Uh, I went four stars as well. The, Shawn, Shawn Michaels is a very complicated wrestler for me where I, f- I feel like in PWO land, I'm, I'm higher on him than most of his uh, toughest critics. And then on the other side of the coin, though, I don't think he's one of like the 10 best wrestlers of all time. So so I feel kind of in the middle. But uh, I did think his chain wrestling at the beginning of this match was absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the headlock and uh, neck... Vice was locked in very deeply. Um, you you could tell there was not a lot of separation. Uh, so they worked this match the first five or six minutes. It, it, I mean, this was trending really super high for me um, based off of that because that's just stuff I love, like different counters. Uh, the stipulation for the match I thought overall could be pretty contrived, but I thought they utilized it well. I liked it, Sean. Uh, I think sometimes in these type of situation uh, matches, stipulation matches where you can't use a certain move, uh, it allows the baby face to look like a dummy because um, he constantly keeps going for the move he can't. I did like here that Sean was like mm-hmm. faking Randy out and like outsmarting him to do that. Right. Uh, so you yeah. had the stuff like the cradle, which looked, was performed really well. Um, him mixing in the submission stuff was also a neat strategy. Uh, between the sharpshooter and the crossface, those are two interesting submissions to kind of go towards. Um, but uh, but yeah, overall, really strong match. I thought the finish was again great, where uh, the match had been going on long enough that it it worked it worked really well. Where like Sean doesn't look like a idiot; he just had a very like mm-hmm. brief lapse in thought process and Orton as the ultimate like opportunist and can hit that RKO out of nowhere and absolutely spiked him on the RKO and picks up the clean victory. So really impressive showing Um, perfect use of Sean too, I think is, is kind of that person that's an established star that can be used to elevate, Um, you know, now like Orton has a, a big, you know, another large scalp and, pinning Shawn Michaels clean as he can uh, and not relying on interference or whatnot or getting himself DQ'd. So a, a very effective match in my eyes. I do. This is one I do think, uh, I, again, I blame Hornswoggle and Kali a little bit for the crowd not reacting that well. It is a little bit of a different match too. I think this is a very different, like unorthodox WWE style main event match. So that possibly could have, came into play too but uh overall i thought this was very successful and four stars for me scott yeah four stars for me as well i uh i like jr have said all along that orton this is like one of orton's this is where he really stepped up and and worked his tail off to get mm-hmm. to this point where the stage is his another guy who uh another guy who um um who is taking advantage um of John Cena's absence um, by getting by getting some spotlight. I love the Sean thing where he sneaks him out with the uh, with the with the inside cradle. I agree the crowd should have been hotter, but unfortunately it wasn't because um, because uh, uh, you know the uh, um, Hornswoggle match kind of sucked the juice out. 
Um, the funny thing about, for me, the funny thing about the whole crippler cross, the crossface thing is that Sean's probably the only one that could get away with it, mm-hmm. but he did it. If you, if any like mid card guy did it or something, they probably would. No, it. I had to be him. I mean, you could have maybe said Triple H, but then I think it would have looked more self-serving if it was him. So exactly. I, think, I think Sean was like the best choice, unless like Undertaker or something, you know, or maybe like Batista, but I, I I'm, yeah, I'm with you. I think Sean is probably the guy to Sean do it. Kind of kind of quell the blow there but i thought the match was a lot of fun uh randy orton really you know is getting how to move himself around in the ring and how to handle you know things on a on a on a uh segment by segment basis in a match and he's adapting very well and and Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who the person is that's in front of him uh he's gonna wrestle a guy similar to this uh next month uh but you know facing guys like triple h and and Sean and and who he faces next month and he's faced Cena, you know, all different kinds of wrestlers and, and Orton's doing an amazing job of adapting to all of their different styles. And um, I really enjoyed this match. And, and it's a shame that, that the Hornswoggle Kali stuff kind of sucked the juice out of the crowd, because I feel like this could have been a lot hotter because there were legitimate spots where you thought that, that Sean was going to steal the title with something, something sneaky. Uh, sadly, that didn't happen, but, uh, but I love the match. I think it's one of Orton's best matches of the year, in my opinion. Four stars. Yeah, he's been great. He's really won me over in this run. And, um, you know, this is coinciding with the GWE, GWWE project. Yes. As well. So, like, you know, watching a lot of this and him grow in 07 is helping his case dramatically for me, along with the current stuff with him and RK Bro. So, like, those two concurrent uh, are definitely raising Orton's profile um, in my mind. And uh, for Duty War with Marcus, having recently watched. 11-12, which is another great Orton run. So um, it's a lot of fresh Randy Orton in my mind as we work on this project. All right, we got a, a much longer Save Us video tease that ends with 23 hours in tomorrow night. So it looks like we're going to unravel this mystery on Raw. We then get a video package for our main events, which is the fifth pay-per-view meeting of 2007 between The Undertaker and Batista. And this one will be inside the Hell in a Cell with Batista's world title on the line. On the 11-12 SmackDown, we had an in-ring promo by Batista re- regarding his win at Cyber Sunday, saying their rivalry is now tied at one win apiece and two draws. Taker appeared and said he would watch Batista's back during their tag match later in the night because he still had the title. Batista agreed to a rematch as well, saying it would be against Taker in a Hell in a Cell. Both guys tagged together in the 11-12 Raw with the defeated Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch. So... Here we go. The Haas is at it once again. They've dominated the main event scene and the title picture. They've had classic wars. Batista, uh, can he retain one more time? This side, inside inside the cell. We get two intense entrances. The cell really sets the tone of a major war between these megastars, ready to put the rivalry to bed after the rubber match. We get the usual bomb throwing. Neither guy holds back. No pretense of anything but that. Taker controls first as Cole talks about his history of using mind games and fear to control opponents. Batista survives the opening onslaught, uses a chair, but that backfires. Batista then dodges a triangle choke and heads outside and the war rages on with more heavy strikes. Cole talks about how Taker has continually evolved his career to stay relevant. He's in full control as he grabs a chair, sticks it under Batista's neck and spikes it into the steps. Really cool spot to pop the crowd and Batista's immediately spitting out blood. Taker controls to work Batista in the ring, going for covers wherever he can, unloading strikes. Batista comes back and tries to show some urgency in his attack, and that has an opening. Batista starts to settle in an offense, gets his bearings and a heavier attack to fill in, in and out of the ring. 
take our abs back into control. We get a nice spot where he runs Batista to the cell. We get a nice flow where each guy's get a little spurt of offense due to being worn down. Batista gets a big superplex, but Taker grabs a triangle choke. Batista's now gushing blood and smears it all over Taker as we go back outside with more big strikes. Taker gets sliced open by the steps as we head back in. Batista punches in the corner, but it allows Taker to hit last ride and a choke slam. Batista kicks out. We roll on. He answers back on the spine buster, grabs a table and sets it up and drives Taker through it with a Batista bomb for a really good close near fall. Batista grabs the steps and tries another bomb, but Taker counters and backdrops him on the stairs for two. Taker then finishes it, um, gets another two count with a tombstone as Batista's hanging on. Taker loads up Batista and tombstones him on the steps and covers, but as the ref counts, a cameraman pulls him out to stop the count. We see that Edge is the cameraman. He smashes Taker with the camera, grabs a chair and hammers Taker with it on the stairs, puts Batista on top, and Batista wins the match, surprisingly, and retains. Edge lays out Taker with another chair shot afterward, and that wraps up our show. Uh, just another war with these two guys. Maybe a little slower than the usual bombs fest that we get, but the ending stretch really picked up the pace. The tombstone of the steps would have been a great finish, but we get the edge stuff instead, which does protect Taker. I'm not sure if it hurts Batista or helps him, but either way, time for this rivalry to wrap up. It's pretty much maxed out. This felt a bit like they were struggling to figure it out one more time, but the chemistry and hard work were there and got them through. So, Scott, I went four stars, uh, probably on the lower end of their matches this year, but still really freaking good. Um, and do you think the finish was the right way to go with Edge? Yeah, uh, four stars for me. Uh, you're not going to, I mean, you're not going to get any argument out of me with these guys. It's been mm-hmm. my favorite feud uh, of the year. Uh, I love watching these two guys wrestle. I don't know where they, it, it goes back to the to the whole um, bitterness of WrestleMania back in, in April at WrestleMania when they did not go on last, when many feel they should have, when they thought they should have. Um, and they've kind of wrestled with that chip on their shoulder pretty much all year. Um, did it tap out here? Yeah, it did. Uh, is the match bad? By no stretch, four stars. I mean, obviously it's not. Um, I love the edge run. In fact, when we do moment surprise, you know, we do the awards in a couple minutes. Um, this is definitely, I mean, he just come, came out of nowhere, keeps him relevant because he's been such a great heel on SmackDown. This has really been the year where he's stepped out and become a great main eventer. I mean, yeah, I know he kind of was in 06, but he, I felt like he was still kind of in Cena's shadow, even after, you know, uh, he kind of like disappeared into the, you know, miasma uh, after losing to Cena at, at Unforgiven. He's in RK, he's in rated RKO, which was awesome. And, uh, Finally, in the spring, he's he's back to being uh, his getting his shot on SmackDown and becoming world champion. So this is an amazing overall package here. Crowd is legitimately stunned. Um, and I think it's a good feud for Taker. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is helping get a guy over, and Edge is is ready for the for the for the dance uh, because obviously you know we're we're getting something leaning towards Taker Edge probably for WrestleMania. This seems like it's the beginning of that story as they've transitioned out of Taker Batista. Um, you know, Batista ends up winning the feud. He said it in the promo. He said uh, one win apiece and two draws. So technically Batista won the feud, even though this last match was not clean, Chad, but a ton of fun. 
Uh, loved it from beginning to end. Loved the edge run in. Four stars for me. And do you think that looking back on the whole feud, do you think it really goes back to that like chip on their shoulder that they didn't get that slot at Ford Field and it kind of carried the feud and the the work they had in the ring throughout the whole year? I, I mean, I think that that match so exceeded expectations to a degree that that helped uh, fuel the feud um, overall. Um, this was a match I was very conflicted on re-watching. Um, I ended up going three and three quarters. Um, I, you know, we talked about WrestleMania 23 five and a half years ago, but we all still love that match. Um, still do. <laughs> Um, and then I was live at Backlash, so I, I, I really remember enjoying that one and have fond memories of that live. Uh, the work in this one, I thought, was a little slower place, but still provided the bombs that you needed. Um, it did feel like a little bit that, you know, it kind of felt like that, the to me, the Hell in a Cell was a little bit cliched. I didn't think they necessarily utilized the cell that much uh, throughout the match. It was more about the other weapons, the table, the chair, the steps. Um, so that was a little odd. Uh, also, Taker very obviously pulls out the blade. <laughs> so that's always one of those kind of uh, unfortunate things. But you can clearly see him pull it out of his glove when that happens. Uh, but but my main thing, and I thought this was trending very well to where I'd say, you know, I mean, is it the best match of the feud? No, but it was a fitting in. And then the finish happens. And I do not like the finish. I, I uh, do think that a feud that you've invested five singles matches on pay-per-view in, um, you know, that you've asked people to pay $200 for um you know the it being a big part of that investment deserves some more definitive finish than what we got with the edge run in and you can say well that just makes edge uh you know more of a heel and puts the heel heat on him but as we'll see in like 2008 like uh edge and taker then have a long series of matches and I, I think they're good, but I don't think they reached this level. And I just, even though this was kind of like a face versus face feud, um, it was a blood feud. I mean, they were both bleeding profusely in this match. So, so I would have liked a little more definitive finish one way or the other. Um, and then you could have had the edge run in at the end if you needed to, um, to, to transition that. Because uh, I do think this should have been the end, obviously, of these these guys right. together. But uh, I, I would have liked a clean finish. So that's why I go three and three quarters. Um, some some very high points on this match, though, like Batista kicking out of the tombstone. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that was so cliche that that was a really cool spot. The uh, tombstone and the stairs looked brutal. Um, so overall, like not you know not again the best match that they've had, but I think was setting up to be a fitting conclusion and uh but I'm not a fan of the way that the run in basically did affect the finish. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I don't disagree. Um that it could have been maybe a post match type deal instead and let Batista get the win. I get why maybe they wanted to protect Taker, but whatever. I mean a loss of Batista here wouldn't have hurt that dramatically, especially if it's almost like maybe like collapses on him or something like that. So 
Yeah, I was thinking you could have done like a double knockout thing, and then right. Batista's like on top. Like, I mean, that I think that would have been a fitting way to end the feud. All right, so let us wrap up the pay per view. Uh, why don't we go ahead and get to our awards? So I went Randy Orton as MVP. Um, I thought he looked awesome in that match. I think he's coming into his own as a character, and he beat Shawn Michaels clean. So I think he had the strongest night. I agree. I did Shawn Michaels. Um, I, I thought that match, I mean, I thought Randy was great in that match too, but I thought a lot of that match hinged on Shawn showing how he was changing the strategies and making that not seem contrived, and he did a great job. All right, LVP, uh, I went with the King. I thought he was terrible tonight, uh, especially in the women's match. I just, it's even more glaring when you have like all these other competent announcers calling the show and you know styles and taz and jbl or and uh cole so like you had a lot of really good stuff going on and then you just have him and his slop out there at this point i went with kennedy uh i feel like he was the one guy in that in that team that just seemed lost and didn't have that that extra like like shine on him like the other guys on that heel team did he just seemed like just another guy like he didn't fit there uh, I, I'm going with Kali. I mean, he didn't do much, and, you know, what he was asked to do, he kind of did well. So it's it's really more the booking, but I, I just really disliked that segment and how it was presented. So I went with him overall. All right, best match. I had, you know, the two title matches tied, talk, and I, I kind of wasn't sure, still coming in, but talking them through, I think I like Michaels and Orton better. Oh, that's my match of the night as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Love my, I, I love Taker Batista, but you're right. It, it didn't, it, it didn't match their previous ones. And Orton really shined and didn't have to get carried per se by Sean. So I, I go with Sean and, and Orton. All right, worst match. I think we all agree. <laughs> Orton Swaggle versus Great Collie. <laughs> yeah, whatever that was. Uh, best moment. I went with. Sean hitting the switch in music after the match to pay that off. I thought that was really well done. And Orton's cell was fucking awesome. Uh, I, I like that, but I'm going to go with edge concertoing taker on the stairs. I think that that kind of took that feud to a different level and what was good and, and what's going to become of now for the next few months and uh, brought edge back into the forefront. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah, I'll, I'll actually go with that as well. I mean, I critiqued it as far as a finish, but as far as the moment that they want you to take away from this show that will lead them uh, on the SmackDown side for uh, what, the next eight months, so to, uh, really till SummerSlam, uh, is that feud. So, um, you know, they they really wanted that emphasized, and the actual attack itself with the concerto was done well. So I'll, I'll go with that. All right, surprise of the night, uh, I went with Edge returning. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yep. And then final grade, uh, so for the second straight show, I went with a seven and a half. That was a really strong pay-per-view, two great title matches. Survivor match was really good. I liked the opener. It's really just the Hornswoggle stuff that prevents us from potentially being an all-time show. Yeah, I'm going to give it seven and a half, too. I thought it was a lot of fun. I liked the women's match. Love the Survivor, the triple threat. Uh, ECW match was good. Both title matches were great. Yeah, I, 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 for me, if they put 
Orton, if they put Hornswoggle and Kali after the women's match, mm. I think they might have gotten away with it. No, but this is too long. They just put it in a slot where the crowd, because the crowd was hot for the women's match, but they weren't over hot. They were crazy for that, for that mm-hmm. survival. And had they pulled the ripcord and just went with that all the way to the end, I think we'd have a very different feeling show. But they stuck it in the slot that killed the buzz, and the buzz never came back. As good as the last two matches were. But I'll go seven and a half. Uh, seven out of ten for me. Um, it's, it's an interesting show to rewatch. I, I would say it's not a show that's tough to get through. And it is actually a, a fairly long pay-per-view. Like, it's two hours and 47 minutes on the mm-hmm. network. Uh, a couple couple quick things on the great. Like, this this show has the uh, chainsaw constantly i think it's yes. memorable like that chainsaw every time yep. somebody's nameplate comes up and uh this is kind of like my version of the headstrong for you Justin. <laughs> yeah yep. but i love the hives around this time i saw them live it was a great show uh so i liked that they were the uh, theme song for this pay-per-view but but overall like i mean a good pay-per-view for sure and you look at the high point of the match grades it has you know barely nearly two four stars matches for me and then the survivor series tag which is really good as well uh a couple of low lights uh and and a couple of uh problems with the booking it's it's one of those shows that you really feel like with a little tweaking could have been great but uh as it is it's just good all right, uh, so that'll do it for this episode of the PCB Podcast. Scott, we'll be back in two weeks' time, wrapping up 2007 already with Armageddon. So looking forward to that. See how the year closes out. It's been a, a fun re- romp through 2007 for sure. Uh, a surprisingly uh, fun one, honestly, more so than we would have thought coming in. So be sure to check out everything here on this feed, all the stuff we talked about, North South Connection as well. Tons of great content for you. Please leave us a rating and review. We'd appreciate it. Yeah. So then, everyone take care. We'll talk to you in two weeks.